Hi, everybody. Uh, Thomas and I are about to do an interview. We're in, uh, as you're about to learn, we're in uh, Kathmandu. And uh, as we go through the interview, you're going to see that there's some stops and starts for a variety of reasons. Friends coming to greet us, people bringing us drinks and things like that. So hang with us. I think it's a very good interview. I think you'll learn a lot, uh, but it's a little bit choppy uh, just because of the circumstances. And thank you for being here. Hello, Collins. Well, Greg, where are you? No, I'm with you. <laughs> Correct. <laughs> Again, do you like to share with folks where we are? We happen to be in uh, the kingdom of Nepal. Yes. Kathmandu. Not our first time here. First time in a long time. Yeah. First time we did a video here together. Uh, thank you, technology. Yes. Thank you, technology. So, um, if I understand right, you pretty much took a very long flight from Tokyo to New York, only to get on a very long flight from New York to Nepal. Yeah, Tokyo to New York via Taipei. Via Taipei. That would make it an even longer flight. Uh, yeah, there's been a couple of longer Yes, flights. yes. So let's not talk about um, flights. flights or Nepal or Kathmandu. Mm -hmm. uh, let's talk about Japan, what you saw there. Uh, well, first of all, why you were there, and then let's talk about, you know, the changes you've seen there over the last few years. Sure. I think it's an important um, topic also in light of what uh, we saw G7 meetings mm -hmm. in Japan, a series of meetings, uh, first in Sapporo, then in Karuizawa, and finally in Hiroshima, heads of state, heads of governments. Um, and I was there right before, and this was my first time since COVID, so over three years. I used to spend a lot more time in Japan. So tell us why you were there and um, what you see is happening there over the last few years and where we are. Yeah, so I'm, I'm in Japan usually for personal reasons, uh, but it was a great opportunity to kind of uh, catch up on the mood in the country after three and a half years. I haven't had a chance to visit since, uh, since COVID. And also in light of very important G7 meetings, all series of meetings, place first in Sapporo, then in Karuizawa, and finally in Hiroshima, as we saw with the heads of state, heads of government, and also visited by President Zelensky to Japan during that, uh, that period. But I want to just first focus on overall mood in the country. So I've known Japan for four decades, you know, people fortunate enough to speak the language and have always engaged in conversations about um, the Japanese guilt. Second World War and the overall attitude to uh, geopolitics and geostrategy in the broader population. And these were conversations which were usually dismissed by different people in different walks in line uh, with one short sentence. And the sentence is, hey, wa wa, ichiban this. So the peace is what matters. The peace is number one. The peace is the most important. And this is where the conversation usually stopped for many years. And, and these were conversations you would have with people who you yeah. have a relationship with. Right. So exactly. normally you're having yeah, it's conversations. Not, yeah, about it's things. not what you call tatemai. It's not yes. the, you know, the face, the public right. face. It's the, it's the real home. Yes. It's the real, uh, real belief uh, with some different color regarding North Korea, for example, mm. you know, in a Japanese passport, it's explicitly written that you can go everywhere in the world except North Korea, right? right? So there is, right. there is something that you would break out, break it out. Um, but you know, the territorial problem of Russia in the North, right. let's not forget that Japan is only five miles away from Russia. 
You can see it from the yes. window, better than from Alaska. Um, and despite that, there were attempts, especially in the 1990s, to purchase some of the uh, islands that are occupied yeah. by Russia, Russian Federation today, Soviet Union back in the day. Um, there were efforts to negotiate maybe half of that away between Shinzo Abe and Putin. Um, but overall, I think the, the general mood was that the period of struggle, period of uh, conflict was beyond us, beyond us, the Japanese. We mm -hmm. just worked towards peace. And if you look at ODA, Overseas Development Assistance, that's part of the broader diplomacy, bank check diplomacy, but still yes. diplomacy, goodwill diplomacy around the world, Southeast Asia and so on. Uh, Japan has gained a lot of self-power thanks to that peaceful attitude. Now this is changing. This is changing fast. And that's very unfortunate for um, Japan's rivals or enemies, because when Japan switches, it switches very quickly. And we saw it during the Meiji restoration in the 19th century, and we saw it again during the military period, and we saw it again in a different way with the economic growth mm. in the 50s and the 60s, which eventually threatened the United States right. industrial leadership at some point in the early 80s, as you remember from Japan bashing yes. period. And so now with the new um, national security strategy that was uh, published last year and the new national defense strategy, a separate document was published, I think, at the end of last year, it does seem that the general public is responding. It's responding in a way that's much more explicit. The discussions do not stop with yeah. the soundbite, but the peace, peace is all, is all that matters. matters. Uh, suddenly Japan realizes but not only is it five miles away from Russia, it's also about 60 miles only away from Taiwan, southernmost islands. And so it's directly uh, affected by potential contingency in Taiwan Straits. Because Taiwan Straits is not just Taiwan Straits, it's also the Bashi Channel. The Bashi Channel is that um, piece of Pacific waters between the northern island of Luzon, another island of the Philippines, where the United States is now rebuilding its uh, military base. We had just very big exercises, mm. military exercises with our Filipino allies on the one hand, and then Taiwan on the other. And that channel, Bashi Channel, is through which most of the Japanese trade mm. uh, transits, right, all the way down to Malacca Strait. Uh, that's not only energy imports, there's a lot of exports, a lot of communication with Southeast Asia, which is a very important uh, production base for Japanese capital. Um, everything that's not related to uh, U.S. and Canada mm -hmm. goes through Bashi Channel. And so control of Bashi Channel between Taiwan and the Philippines is absolutely critical for Japanese Navy and for American Navy, American Marines and Air Force as well. And so naturally, any contingency around Taiwan would directly affect uh, and the Japanese realized, and the Japanese realized that Taiwan's security is Japan's security. Yes. And because of the, so this is very reminiscent of many countries around, around the globe saying that Ukraine's security is global security. Absolutely. Absolutely. Security. So what, what really awakened the Japanese to, to, to a large extent is of course, what happened in Ukraine. Suddenly the unthinkable is mm. thinkable. Mm. Uh, so, hey, Wong. You know, the, the, the peace turns out to be a little bit of a off dream, you know, in a situation when a neighbor, direct neighbor, wages a war against another neighbor. Or it's not plug and play. You can't, you, you can, you can achieve it today, but it doesn't guarantee it. To. 
Absolutely. And, you know, you, you realize now as, as a Japanese, how tricky your own neighborhood is. Mm-hmm. You're sandwiched between aggressive China. Yes. Uh, North Korea, unpredictable North Korea and Russian neighbor, which right. is waging a, you know, hot kinetic war against its another it's neighbor. Right. Another. So, so it's a very. Thank you. And so it was very interesting to, to find these conversations so explicit and so downbeat. It's almost, it's not fatalistic, but it's, it's a realization. It's very pragmatic. So the country has actually gotten to work with rebuilding of its military uh, power with its very strong coordination of uh, different, there's a plane. coordination of its well, military uh, preparedness with the U.S. allies and with, very importantly, um, hatching up of differences with South Korea. Mm-hmm. That's something that's recognized. And, mm-hmm. you know, you'll find mm-hmm. often uncomfortable conversations in Japan about their historical uh, baggage in Korea. In South so, Korean mm-hmm. Political left has been exploiting this for its own domestic purposes for a long time. Mm. Uh, the previous president of South Korea considered Japan uh, more of a threat than North Korea, mm. believe it or not. Mm. So, luckily and, enough, that's gone. And is this in some ways reminiscent no. of the relationship today between Poland and Ukraine? A lot of difficult yeah, historical, history, but, yeah. but today it's but better today for what us to matters, be friends. Yeah. Than, what matters is really the common enemy. Yeah. And I think uh, if there is one country where attitude towards China and Chinese people has very radically shifted over mm. the last couple of years. It's South Korea. Mm-hmm. Uh, South, South Koreans historically viewed China as a small okay, cultural heartbeat that they <laughs> adjusted to. Uh, now they, they view it as a threat. And that's yeah. China's fault because that's how uh, Beijing reacted to deployment of uh, THAAD uh, missile mm. defense system uh, from the U.S. And now, if there is a chance to coordinate the efforts of uh, missile defense system, uh, reconnaissance and intelligence between South Korea and Japan directly, rather than triangle with the United mm-hmm. States, that's a huge blow against China and North Korea. And Japan has the most efficient missile defense of all the three countries, better mm-hmm. than the United States, mm-hmm. better than South Korea. Um, unfortunately, not yet integrated with the Taiwanese uh, missile defense system. Right. This is something that's, that's a work in progress. Right. It's not. It's not public. 301. Uh, so it's, it's, it's work in progress. Uh, it's not yet coordinated with the, with the Taiwanese uh, missile defense. So there, there are definitely loopholes here through which mm-hmm. a potential aggression by China could, mm-hmm. could enter. So, but anyway, those conversations were very explicit and it's interesting uh, going back to Taipei that it's not necessarily the same attitude in Taiwan. Mm. Before you go on to Taipei and, and Taiwan, we'll let a plane pass over Ed. <clears throat> you had sent me some notes before we were talking today, and, and one of the things you had suggested I ask is, what has changed in the last three years? Mm-hmm. So one might think that so far this conversation really has been triggered by the Russian invasion of Ukraine. That was only a year or ago. I, yeah. Why did you choose three years? What, why was three years ago right. a so trigger I, point? I didn't choose the, <clears throat> the moment COVID spilled out of Wuhan. 
Oh, so it's so because so so someone else chose it since COVID is yeah. okay. Uh, okay, you know, there's definitely first a realization that the supply chains, the way mm. organized, mm -hmm. just dysfunctional okay. and do not deal very well with the with emergencies. Um, partly because I think during our thirty-year period of Haywat peace, or, or geopolitical peace mm. and generally globalization, um, we benefited from. Collapse of the tyranny of distance. The tyranny, tyranny of distance. Distance. Yeah. Has been or was over mm -hmm. in many ways. So it was possible at a low uh, yeah. price, uh, deploy capital far away from where you are and benefit from the efficiencies and competitive advantage. Yeah. And of course, when... In other words, the supply chain became so sophisticated that it didn't matter that you ordered your iPod from around the world. You still got two days. Yeah. It's... Uh, uh, I mean, it's more complex than that. You if you're looking, for example, for um, something that requires a lot of cheap energy, mm. so you naturally go to build, say, aluminum smelter in Mozambique mm. because where you find a lot of stranded uh, energy in small, high-value-added elements such as the semiconductors that are obviously very easily uh, dislocated to places which can actually churn out design on the one hand. Right. Uh, whole infrastructure, hardware in another place, in another part of the planet. So that, that was easy. But oh. however, with geostrategic um, dangers mm -hmm. looming, uh, the distance uh, comes back to bite you. Right. And now it matters. And I think with COVID for the first time, mm -hmm. we got to the fact that it does matter. Uh, One of the questions I have for you is, uh, there was COVID. Mm -hmm. Would Japan be in a similar place today, even if Russia hadn't invaded Ukraine? No, I think the okay. Russia, Russia shock changed. And I'm going to ask you something I've been meaning to ask you for a while, which is, do you, in my mind, it feels like the invasion of Ukraine by Russia was sort of a continuation of COVID in the sense that the world was, you know, the, the balance of the world was upset. And then there was an opportunity to take advantage of it. Yeah, I think, I think there are two, two elements coming out of that isolation one was worse through Russia's uh, acceleration of their plans. Uh, on the other hand, there's also in parallel uh, wolf warrior diplomacy by the Chinese, mm -hmm. right? Which started really around the time they published. Right. Hit. So, uh, very strong, aggressive, posturing uh, among different nations, mostly the Western. Mm -hmm. the Western really, let's face it, we, when we speak about Western, we incorporate Japan, South Korea, Taiwan. Mm -hmm. Ironic. Maybe Singapore yes. to some extent. Yes. These, are, these are the four Asian countries mm -hmm. that employed um, sanctions against Russia. Yes. Right. back. Um, there are more Western politically than, say, Hungary. Right. right? right. Um, and so I think that accelerated the process. Mm -hmm. you know, we saw the disconnect, uh, you know, lack of personal exchanges between the dictators in the right hand and democratic leaders. Mm -hmm. And so the G7 was really interesting as we see increasingly um, efforts for NATO to be present in the Pacific and then incorporating policies, especially defense and security policies by, especially Tokyo and Seoul, um, Taiwan less for obvious reasons into the European what, what, what are the obvious reasons? The obvious reason is Taiwan has, is directly threatened. Mm -hmm. So you cannot expect Taiwan to deploy its defense strategy. It needs in, to be focused on a completely yeah. different, just like you just cannot, Ukraine, you cannot expect Ukraine <clears throat> to defend Taiwan. Right. 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 It has its own, right. its own. Okay. So, yeah, so it's, I think 
that period uh, since 2020 is where we can probably find the seeds of the mm. end of the of mm -hmm. globalization as we so first with the trade disconnect and and uh, and the loss of the um, added value that we had from the global supply chain mm. the realization we have to bring certain things uh, home. home or closer to home yes. or at least among nations that we can trust yes and um, I think we have a deficiency of trust vis-a-vis -vis mm. dictatorships and that mm. with the invasion of Ukraine pretty obvious to Asians as well are you in some way suggesting that Putin and the you know the regime in Kremlin in the Kremlin was watching what China was doing during that period beginning with COVID and gained confidence to yeah. speed up its timetable because of what it saw China was doing? So. I think so. If you, if you listen to Lavrov or Putin, what they say about Taiwan, it's the most explicit support for Chinese mm. brinkmanship which you get from any. So mm. Even North Korea doesn't necessarily express itself about yeah. Taiwan. Mm -hmm. Russia does. Mm. I think that's uh, this is where we have basically the entire Eurasian space spent on the, the Russian-Chinese hotland positioning mm -hmm. itself both to the west and to the east with some differences of interest at the yeah. end of the day. We see it in the Chinese diplomacy. Which I do. The Ukrainian conflict. Right. I mean, it does seem like China's messaging to the world about the Russian invasion is very mixed. It's very mixed, uh, but it's also very misguided. So oh, I think we can just briefly refer to um, the visits in Europe by um, Chinese envoy, Mr. Li Hui, used to be um, China's ambassador to Moscow. And he recently, finally, um, finally, as first Chinese official visited Kiev, as well as Warsaw, Paris, and Berlin. Mm -hmm. now, Kiev, obviously, there was a lot of pressure for China to do something because this is two months since the announcement of their peace initiative in which we couldn't really see anything. Right. And now we saw it and, you know, the West is very unimpressed. Certainly yeah. Europeans and Germans are very unimpressed by that uh, and the Poles because it would essentially mean freezing the territorial areas right. by, by Russia, solving absolutely nothing. So it shows easily on which and side. It was certainly not anything that Ukraine would. But I think what's was so interesting, he was, uh, yeah, of course, Ukraine would not agree. But then because of his trouble towards Kiev, he had to go through Poland. And there he met with one of the officials from the Ministry of Foreign Affairs, who berated China for support of Moscow. That right. shows. And, you know, this is not necessarily your ultimate, you know, democratic paragon of virtue, the current right. government. Right. However, very clearly supporting Ukraine. And this reflects two things. First, that China is losing points really quickly in Europe uh, by its support to Moscow, because Moscow, today's regime is basically DOA. That is just completely unacceptable for for Europeans, a year and a half since the beginning of the war, almost, right? It was not the case immediately, but I think it's pretty obvious right now. Um, and secondly, on the other hand, it just betrays the naivete that Beijing uh, sort of muddles through. Um, Chinese don't see smaller countries as having their own agency. So why would Poland with its own agency? Right. They view smaller countries as purely being parts of spheres of influence. And for some reason, 
Poland is an extension of America's spheres of influence. America, America's sphere of influence. While it's marmite looking up the map, should be right. part of the Russian yeah. Empire. Why mm. isn't? Or Europe's. Well, Europe's, yeah, yeah. Whatever, however you I mean, define in today's. It. Yeah. But uh, for Chinese perspective, <clears throat> I it's see. better, okay. right? Right. And so why are these people barking at us? Mm. Who are they? Mm. Why do they have agents? Right. They should speak with the language of I mean, their overlords. So the Chinese are like a pest to yeah, be exactly. pushed away. And so, unfortunately, you cannot get to Kiev without going through yes. Warsaw, as you right. personally yes. know. And therefore, uh, here we are, you know, a shocker for the, for right. the Chinese who believed until a couple of years ago that they could maybe peel away Eastern Europe mm. from the rest of Western Europe by building a 17 plus one right. system, you know, promised investment. None of this happened. Right. And it's down, I think, to 11 plus one right now. Mm. And even that deteriorating on the brink of collapse. So um, complete failure. So that by Chinese the way actually would put them in competition with Russia, though, because that's Russia wants to peel them away. As, as well. by the way, the Chinese are now accomplishing this in Central Asia mm -hmm. because two weeks ago there was this massive summit in Xi'an, in Xi'an's uh, Shanxi province, where apparently Chinese Communist Party is building its bunkers in the case of, you know, a nuclear war. Uh, it's an important part of China historically for the history of the Communist Party development, because mm. that's somewhere in the north of the Mao's uh, uh, army was hiding, hiding away in order not to fight the Japanese, mm. like the nationalist AMT uh, or troops bleed in the Japanese, mm -hmm. and then we're going to finish our civil, that's what right. was happening. Anyway, it looks very different in the um, historiography of the Chinese Communist Party, which is promoted in domestically and overseas. However, it's in Xi'an that uh, Beijing uh, invited five leaders of Central Asian nations for the first time without Russia participating. Mm, right. So undermining Russia's position in Central yes. Asia. So Mr. Tokayev was there from Kazakhstan, leaders of Uzbekistan. So these are clearly countries that both empires have sites absolutely and up until very recently um not least general astros remember the uh people in kazakhstan mm -hmm. it's russia that sounds right. like it's troops expeditionary troops to sort of calm things down so russia was a security guarantor in central asia and in southern Caucasus, mm -hmm. armenia azerbaijan mostly um and it's failing now it's providing no security. It's completely focused on the situation in Ukraine. It doesn't have the capacity, the manpower, the, man the, resources. Power, the resources to actually uh, do any more than little right. posturing. Right. And so China is uh, taking, it. taking advantage of it. Mm. I think it's driving Russians crazy. That's why Mr. Misushtim, the prime minister of, of Russia, immediately flew to Beijing mm -hmm. to uh, supposedly sign new economic deals. The most important of which is power of Siberia to the gas pipeline that mm -hmm. the Chinese are in no rush to. Um, to sign on off, uh, not in the last trip of Xi Jinping in Moscow, because they prefer kind of diversifying their resources. So mm. just like China is forcing us to be over-dependent on their market, they themselves mm. trying to be asymmetrically independent of any single market. Also, their gas comes from Turkmenistan, Central Asian nation, not from Russia. Can I ask you just an absurd question? As long as it's absurd. Again. As long as it's absurd, <laughs> it's fine. Does China see Russia as eventually part of its own territory? Parts of parts of Russia. Parts of Russia. So, so not all the way to Moscow. Remember how the wars between Imperial Russia and Japan started. It started over Manchuria. 
Manchuria, which is today split between Russian territory and it's called Dongbei, um, three provinces, the North, Jilin, Heilongjiang, and Wuhan in China. And so what's on the other side of the, of the, the border was ceded to Russia in the late 19th century for a series of, uh, of agreements between Cyrus, Russia, and, and China. And Chinese nationalists to this day mm. consider those places part of China, even mm. though cities such as Vladivostok, which means the power of the East in Russian, um, or power over East, yeah. um, didn't exist back then. Mm. It's not a Chinese city in any way, right? So let's there's... pause for a moment because mm -hmm. we have a guest. Oh my God. All right. We had a little, <clears throat> we had a little interruption there for a friend, but do you remember where we, I think, I think we spoke about potential friction between Russia and China yes. in the Northeast. And I think this is something that's not going to play out in the short term. Mm. For now, the alliance between Russia and China really perfectly suits China because it secures its northern border, which was the focus of Chinese Communist Party and People's Liberation Army for most of its existence for the uh, structural uh, conflict between USSR, specifically Russia, and China. Uh, that is now safe, respected. PLA and we've been able to focus entirely on naval, naval missile access denial in the Western Pacific. So that suits their mid-terms goals, whether it suits their long-term goals from the perspective of Chinese nationalists, of course it does, because Northern Manchuria right. should be Chinese, right? There's many other places, right. including places in... While the Russians think they should be Russian. Yeah. I mean, there is the expansion. The Chinese expansion is whoever believes that just giving away Taiwan is going to stop anything. It's not going to stop. And, and the Japanese. That sounds like a conversation we have about Ukraine. Exactly. Exactly. <clears throat> there's always Moldova. There's yes. always Belarus, unfortunately. Yes. Oh, and next, there's always Poland. Next door is Poland. Right. A good reason for Finland. Or Yeah. Yes. So uh, that's unfortunate corollary of that. And Russians, for the time, we cannot afford. Right. Because they're and not the doing particularly East. well with the one they Exactly. And they need other forces. Mm. At least the nuclear forces right. completely untouched by the conflict in Ukraine and the Pacific Fleet completely untouched by mm. the conflict in Ukraine and where there are joint exercises with the Chinese Navy. It's good reasons for which Japan has completely now abandoned the options of mm. to drive a wedge between China. Yeah. Because posturing by the Russian Navy there, which actually in some ways is logically more than the Navy, although not, but it's a very concrete support, a legal support for China. So <laughs> we've been duped by Russia about the strength of their military and the superiority of their military twice now in my lifetime. Could it be that that superiority you're talking about in terms of naval power could also be Smoke and mirror? Could be. We don't know. Yeah. Um, so I think the biggest question is, of course, the nuclear. Mm -hmm. It's untested. We don't know how well it's maintained. So right. On paper, Russia has the largest nuclear uh, force in the world, larger right. than the United States. Is it possible, though, that it has been so poorly maintained that it's, it's not functional? It's entirely possible. Mm -hmm. 
Do you think know. they know? I don't even the United States. Mm-hmm. I'm, I'm positive that uh, focus on specific, for example, submarine pilot and submarine things missiles. That's number one priority for Russian strategic forces. That's mm-hmm. probably mm-hmm. Um, maintain. But with their entire six thousand one hundred plus warheads are maintained. This is an expensive business. Right. Well, Having, and they don't have a history of maintaining their audience. Yeah, but at the same time, you know, if there is a business uh, in Russia that is at the top end of uh, global technologies, mm. nuclear power, mm. I mean, Rosatom is a major well, exporter right. technology mm. to India, to, the, to Egypt, right. to many, many places, and very, very competitive against mm. the Western house, Toshiba, French. So uh, I wouldn't entirely dismiss that. Mm-hmm. Okay. Russians technologically are advanced certain ways. Of course, it's being undermined by the sanctions yeah. and their problem accessing components, critical components, but we can assume that they get a lot of those from China. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Is there anything more you want to say about the G7? Yeah. So the G7 was, because the host was host country was uh, Japan, uh, very much focused on that uh, connectivity between uh, the Western European powers and the Eastern powers. And that mm. means Japan and South Korea, its right. newly found right. ally, um, dealing with the challenges in the Pacific. Uh, and that was very interesting to have uh, President Zelensky visiting G7. Uh, so, uh, you know, a challenge which typically Eastern European or European theater uh, thrown into uh, an agenda that's prepared by the Japanese and right. he flying on that uh, French. Yes. Air there were a lot of interesting elements on the, on the French plane, presidential plane, for the second time. Because he also did a meeting using the same French presidential aircraft. So, in some ways, President Macron very severely criticized both in Japan and mm. Taiwan during visit countries, um, trying to kind of uh, win back. Very, some- very some history yeah, of these history. very unfortunate statements yeah. post visit in Beijing. Uh, so Zelensky's visit was very important. He's very popular in, mm-hmm. in East Asia. You know, someone stood out mm-hmm. to the bully, the bully that's been always unpopular in East Asia. And mm-hmm. I'm talking even China until, you know, last couple of years of putting mm-hmm. in a big star for Chinese nationalists. Historically, mm-hmm. we're in Hong Kong. And you ask local business people, did they see any opportunity in Russia? Zero interest. Different, different cultures. Uh, the big opportunity in Russian market, it's not Germans. Yeah. Western Europeans, East Asian, they're too much. Um, so, you know, a, a very important visit, uh, timely because I think coming back to that visit by Li Hui in Europe, in European capitals. I think Ukraine masterful grand diplomacy masterful used that leverage, um, sending a message to the West, so it's Western mm-hmm. allies saying, "Look, we're talking to the Chinese." Right. And just think about it: for about six months since last fall, Zelensky and company have been begging Western allies to provide Air Force right. you know, assets, especially F-16s. Right. And the attitude, especially from the United States, was, "No, no, no, let's go too far." Right. right. So first things, helmets. And it was defense. I mean, it's just, uh, it's, it's like the same. It's a, it's a repeating loop. Yeah, light bigger, tanks, bigger heavy tanks. Yes. You know, it's going to yes. be nuclear submarines. Yeah. Um, but of course, the reaction was no way. Hey, we're not going to go over. 
And so Ukraine says, you know what? I'm talking to the Chinese. Mm. Leverage. Leverage works. Begging doesn't. And so perfect, perfect move by Ukraine, threatening its allies, you know, in a nice way. So, mm. This could be a Chinese mm. sphere of influence. Are you interested? Mm. No, no, no. He already succeeds. Right. And of course, the first country that's supporting Ukraine with most advanced weapons right now is the UK. Right. Because UK can do it. UK mm -hmm. has a cupboard from the United right. States. Uh, has a lot of grievances against Russia. You think about it. Russia deployed chemical weapons in Mumbai, right. killing a dissident. They deployed radioactive ag agents, Salisbury. Right. They meddled with the Brexit right. vote. Right. A lot of reasons for UK to uh, dislike yes. uh, Putin's regime. And so uh, most of the troops of the 40,000 strong Brigade forces that are ready for the Kingdom of Fez in Ukraine are actually trained in, right, in the UK. And much of the most advanced equipment that includes long range missiles, which were another hurdle for the West, right. you know, don't bomb Russia, right. just right. stay within the right. bounds. And that, of course, allows right. Russia to bomb right into. Yeah, it's a terrible, it's, it's, it's a very asymmetric yeah. attitude. So that is, that help is coming mostly from the UK. So UK is doing this offshore balancing. Um, the role that they played in the 19th century, early 20th century against Germans mm -hmm. uh, in Europe, and they're playing this war against Russia, which of course riles. Yeah. Mm. One of the questions I want to ask you is, you know, you just mentioned how mass masterfully the diplomacy for Ukraine has been. Where did they to do this? Mm. I mean, this is this is such an incredible breakthrough in their this is fairly basic. Is uh, it? You play to your own interest. Mm -hmm. If you align your interest with the interest of your allies, 100%, you lose your freedom. Mm -hmm. And this is the reason. Well, you can say it's fairly basic, but the actual execution takes a hell of a lot of skill yeah, and experience. Off. Heads off. Heads off to Kiev. Oops. I think, you know, another good example, you know, where does Poland, where's, where are they buying all the right? Yeah. You know that. In South Korea. Right. Not in the United States. Right. Why? Because by buying this in the United States, they will be completely wedded yeah. to the limitations of right. the U.S. policy. Is, is the U.S. policy wrong? No, it's not. Or is the U.S. doing wrong, what's right for the U.S.? The U.S. doing what's right for the U.S. And there is no guarantee that in the future it will be in U.S. interest that right. Poland bombs Moscow. Right. But it could be in Poland's yeah. interest to right. bomb Moscow. Of course. And they want to have the equipment surprise and we're with us. And with South Korean equipment then. Is there a downside for the U.S. other than the 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 money coming into the economy? Is there a downside of of having Poland go somewhere else for the weapons? Well, the downside is we lose control. To, so, so losing control is one, right? So just like the U.S. doesn't have a full control of Israel's policy, mm -hmm. right? right? Israel generates its own drastically. Right. Well, we have control for other. Well, some control, some control. Yeah. At the end of the day, um, there is discussion. You know, if Ukraine does not become NATO Vilnius summit, mm. very unlikely it does, mm. it's a state of war currently. Right. Uh, what is that immediate future? Mm. And the immediate future is, well, let's make it in Israel. Let's make mm. it a super strong, powerful mm. military nation, mm. very strong ironclad guarantees, mm. maybe deployment of UK forces and Poland mm. forces in Ukraine. So in order not to allow in future Russia yeah. to stay again, right? right? So in order not to reopen that chapter right. after a couple of years, right? 
squeezes, yes. which is what we China's yes. ideal, right. Right. China's ideal strategy. Right. So I, I, I think for all of those allies of the United States, and that includes Japan, that includes South Korea, and we talk about South Korea, you know, having this own, this is very alive mm. and well, yes. as they cannot 100% trust the United States. Right. Why? Because we have elections in the United States right. next year. And if an orange guy comes back and says, you know what? I'm more interested in wrangling over five cents in our trade deficit against South Korea or Poland or something. Mm. Are we going to start losing allies? Yeah. This is how dangerous the world could be. Yeah. And so I think Europeans were not so concerned about that ceiling negotiations here, mm. but they're very concerned the next the US. Because yeah. the world could just catch fire really yeah. if all of these countries suddenly realize, okay, we can't count on the United States. We need to the South Korea will yeah. be the first one, but not the last one. By the way, on that, the Japanese public is not ready yet. And so there is no Japanese support in the broader public to reopen that chapter and mm. create nuclear weapons in Japan. Badly, but that's because of that personal experience yes. Yes. of nuclear yes. right. in Japan, which Korea did. Right. Right. Is there anything in Taiwan? Taiwan. We have really touched upon. Good. So very, very interesting trip as well. And here I find the population quite divided. So um, there's also a, an election coming in January next year. And in some ways, when I spoke to senior politicians from DPP and Democratic parties, uh, they view the Ukrainian counteroffensive right now as not necessarily running out of time yet, but that it's absolutely necessary to find a breakthrough in Ukrainian world prior to the elections in Taiwan. Yes. The reason being, of course, is that U.S. will have to uh, reposition its, its way. In other words, the Ukraine Pacific. conflict is still if going on. Yeah, U.S. its focus is split. We'll have to because China will definitely try to interfere yes. with the elections. This right. way or another, whether it's by blockading, whether it's just through cyber attacks and so on, China will be trying to. Would Russian interfere in Taiwan? No, I don't think so. Okay. It's really a, because it's out of their yeah, it's sphere. Yeah, it's they're happy when they're out. Would they do it to appease? No, I mean, they have a history no. of it. They have a they're no. successful. Well, China definitely can learn from it, Russia okay. how to do these things, and they think they've been kind Studying. of trained, yeah, yeah, okay. trained in the Taiwanese case, and of course, mm. cyber security in Taiwan is you know as good as Ukraine, right? right for right. for obvious reasons, right? Hybrids infiltrations and but anyway this is part of the calendar for ukrainians mm -hmm. uh, you don't have to follow you know elbridge colby in washington to see that there is a consensus uh, contrary to the ukrainian conflict there is a full consensus political consensus right. that west pacific matters more and if things really heat up next year because of the twin uh, calendar of taiwanese elections and u.s elections mm -hmm. uh, then ukraine better speeds up it's yeah. offensive, and I really hope with uh, General Zabrotsky uh, from the Spetsnaz, who's now the Vice Minister of Military Defense in Ukraine, uh, with General Zaluzny, he and his special operation forces will do something that's very hybrid mm -hmm. at the back of the of the Russian lines. And so everybody who's expecting kind of clouds of its own, you know, Schwerpunkt attack. Mm -hmm. Uh, as a counteroffensive response, it's going to be surprised because this is more like little heart, indirect, um, indirect uh, geo strategy is trying yeah. to maybe pinpoint a couple of um, weak elements in the in the Russian defenses. Mm -hmm. uh, so I'm very encouraged by Zabrowski's 
appointment in Ukraine, maybe uh, there would be a breakthrough, but in ways that we cannot expect in Ukraine. And I hope that that concerns mostly Crimea because Crimea is this uh, jewel in the crown, much more than Donbass, and especially in the context of, again, a topic for the next conversation of Russia's uh, creeping takeover of Belarus. Mm -hmm. Because uh, with Belarus under Russian control and Crimea still under Russian control and the Sevastopol uh, Navy base, which I visited many years ago, um, basically Ukraine would be like Czechoslovakia yeah. in 1938, completely surrounded yeah. by, by its end. Not a, not a very comfortable uh, situation, especially given the trade contacts right. for Ukraine, which yeah. are, you know, were Azov Sea and the Black Sea critical. And so that's part of the discussion in Taiwan, right? So that there's little time. However, there's this other side of the population that's a bit like ostriches. They hope that the problem will somehow go away. The message that it sends to Washington is a determinant. No, I think, I think it's still the same divide as so the majority of the population, which is ethnically Taiwanese, yeah. and the minority of the population, which is ethnically Chinese, on team of Chiang Kai-shek, the original 2 million people, is an island of 23 million, right? But these people have had power for, for many decades, economic power, political power, military, and to this day, very good party organization, mm. Guomindang, incredibly strong. Mm. What it means if Invade, right. how are they going to deal with that? Right. It's, it's a completely different story. Right. I think there is, there's a lot of this ostrich thinking, you know, oh, we've been in this situation for mm -hmm. so long, as long they're not changed. Luckily enough, they're not in power right now. Right. So they're not in charge of the, the strategy in the military and defense strategies. It's not that straightforward who's going to win the election. Mm -hmm. The presidential election, very likely the GPP wins and then continues the current policies. And as mm -hmm. we discussed before, Cooperation, military cooperation with Japan is critical and with U.S. forces in the Philippines is critical and increased deployment of U.S. forces in Taiwan proper, which right now is training. Um, that, that, is, that is critical and more and more clarity from the side as it's been the case under Japan's administration. But the ostrich thing is there. Um, so you find when most people would love to avoid any conflict as, right. they, as if they were the only ones with the agency. Right. Of course, they right. Right. So, uh, we can only, unfortunately, expect that the situation will aggravate it by simply the calendar, political mm -hmm. calendar, and Taiwan, mm -hmm. United States next. Ukrainians have to fight. Yeah. I'm not sure they, mm. that was going to be my question. You think the Ukrainians yeah. see it that? I don't think they do. I, I think Eastern Europeans are still quite removed, despite Zelensky's trip mm -hmm. to Japan. It's more in a, you know, please help us yes. rather than incorporating us in what is our, in Washington, right. our right. real right. dilemma. Right. It's a serious dilemma. Right. Building those but there must be some people in Washington telling the Ukrainians, the yeah. people in Kiev, yeah. you know, this is important. Yes. And, you know, and I think there is a really good question at the end of the day. What's in Ukraine's long-term interest? Because if, if long-term interest is understood as getting the last inch of the territory, um, grabbed by Putin you know, company, uh, that might take many years, mm -hmm. but it applies the country completely destroyed. It's female population fled, mm -hmm. families broken, the children, you know, growing up in other countries, learning other languages and becoming something else and never going back to Ukraine, country losing so much population, so much, mm -hmm. so much tension mm -hmm. uh, and with, and just a frozen conflict, life wasn't 
lack of incentives for foreign you know, players to come in and invest. So that's one option. The second option is you sacrifice some of the territory, not Crimea, right? I think Crimea is critical to, to yeah. take it back, but you sacrifice maybe some of the motherlands and you know some of the shitholes in Barbas, where population is against sometimes very anti-Ukrainian, so anyway, you don't deal with right. that. But you gain ironclad guarantees, uh, presence of foreign troops in Ukraine, integration into European Union, fast track, and prospects of integration into NATO in the longer term. You know, once you deal with Turkey, you know, either hurdles and Hungary, you have to send all bypassed. So it's going to, so at least a very clear prospect for economic revival of the country of those those refugees, those out of right. populations. And can, so you actually give them incentive to come back. Absolutely. That that you make that not just the battle, but the final piece mm. as um, constructive in the answer right. for the development of the country. So and becoming and making this country a factor in the rebuilding of European integration yes. in, in general. And at the same time, if that means taking over Crimea, it's almost guaranteed that the current regime in Russia will not survive. Mm. So this is also a positive. And I right. don't think we should be as scared as George Bush the first of the disintegration of the right. Federation. Right. It's in the interest of Eastern Europeans. Yeah. Now everybody's kissed, oh, but China's are gonna take over all these parts of the East. Well, it's we don't know. Mm. But not having a Russian Empire divorced of Europe is it's a longer term guarantee of yeah. peace, peace in Europe. And we can focus on the Chinese. And focus on it. And a strong. This, yes, absolutely. So I'm going to ask you a hard question. Is how, what you're, how hard is this? It's the hardest I've probably ever asked. All right. Because it's accusatory. Okay, please accuse. So what you're saying about Ukraine oh. gets Crimea back, oh. all these other things, but maybe they give up a little bit of a Donbass or whatever oh. it is. Rewarding oh. Russia, right? Is that Are you an appeaser? You and I have... Some very harsh words, but teasers no, a year ago. No. Does this make you an appeaser? No, it makes me uh, not a realist, but a more pragmatic, a pragmatic, a pragmatist, a pragmatist, mm-hmm. because um, it is possible that Ukraine can fight 10 year old attrition, but it won't last. Yeah. So the second part of that is if this proposal comes to fruition. Is that the end of Zelensky as a politician in Ukraine? Very positive. Very positive. Mm-hmm. But, you know, what matters is really what's good for Ukrainians, and less yeah. so what's, what's good for the Skiwa. Right. Yeah. Um, right. Obviously, we know from, you know, Churchill and many other examples that wartime heroes don't so, survive you know, peace times. As, as our friend Ilya Ponomarev said long ago, you know, the smartest thing Zelensky could do is not rent. Oh, my God. For the same I, reasons, I right? So. I just for the same, you know, yes. right out in a parade. And, um, but that would be, you know, that you, what you're proposing would be a very, very difficult is a, thing a, for people to it's a difficult agree thing. to. It's a difficult thing at the time of war. Mm-hmm. And that's why you have to be very careful what you put across at the time of war. Mm-hmm. And that's a message to President Macron. Mm-hmm. You don't speak about strategic autonomy in Europe at the time of war. Yes. Let's right. wait for peace and maybe right. there's a right. there's a room for that as well. I mean, mm. there's indeed a room for less American involvement. Right. Let's first Russia right. into Let, let's, let's resolve the pieces. conflict. Yeah. Yeah. And yeah. let's uh, protect not only Ukraine, but Ukraine. This also raises another question. 
Um, the idea that China has its eyes on parts of the Russian Empire. There are also parts of the Russian Empire that many are saying part of the resolution of the conflict in Ukraine is splitting up Russia so that these countries, should they choose to, be able to choose their own sovereignty. So there's there's a lot of different actors in this it's, it's, potential conflict if area. If you know Russia a little bit, as a multi-ethnic country. Twenty percent of the population being non-Russian. The the uh, centric pedal moment um, differs, and it's not uniform. You will find many places that are disconnected mm -hmm. uh, geographically that would tend towards uh, some kind of cohesion in the Russian Federation, mm -hmm. and in the, the middle pieces, which, for example, during 1990s, not least in the Caucasus, Chechnya. Right. But also the Republic, mm -hmm. which was almost almost sovereign during the LG. You know, they would probably tend towards some form of independence. Maybe Tuba, which is right. kind of a Mongolia. Right. Right. Mongolia. Very unique culture. So on. Um, but then east of Kutya, close to the Pacific, south of Mars, most of the Primorskoya. That's very much right. It's very much Russian, very much democratically Russian. Sure. They are not necessarily in favor of the kind regime, yeah. uh, yeah. but this is where you specifically, you know, the city assets of the Russian population, which are important, strategic, and uh, anybody's guess about how it plays out. It's not that straightforward. You know, the further you go, right. Moscow, right. the less, it's, it's not that it's, convenient. It's a patchwork because of the nature of Stalinist creation of that space, mostly urbanization, which was by natural capital flows, but many sort of fiat, you know, yeah. have the cities developed somewhere with mm -hmm. industries that made absolutely no sense. Right. Parts of right. The country right. As you move away from it is a very difficult to predict how this is going to play out and what role China, but you know, China would, for example, use Yakut as China has its eyes on Mongolia. Northern so how are those people who identify as Russians going to feel about being forced to be Chinese? Yeah. You know, I mean, a whole others. Naturally. Yeah. It's a different story. I mean, I've been to the Russian Far East and, you know, there's, there's a lot of ethnic uh, superiority yeah. among Russians. And then the worst thing you can say to a Russian that he's a Mongol, she's a Mongol. Mm. It really, mm. after 300 years of Mongolian yoke. Yeah. It's something that that stays very strongly in mm. Russian mentality, and you know, the Slavs are mixed to right. a large extent because right. of those invasions from the East. Multiple times, right? So there is no purity, ethnic purity, as Putin with this crypto history of of Russian and yeah. like to yeah. to pretend to dream. Anything else? Well, I think we are right. in the own. Thank you. Good for here. Thanks a lot and for Hatman do with me. Exactly. I'd be here if it wasn't for you. So that's true. Uh, and we will uh, maybe we'll do this again in a week. Absolutely. Absolutely. All right. Thanks. 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 Thank you. Thanks. Thanks.